Welcome to Behind the White Coat Podcast. I am your host, Eric Malara, a first-year medical student. In this podcast, we listen to the stories of those underrepresented in medicine or those with an exceptionally non-traditional background. Today's guest is Lala Forrest. She is a first-year medical student at the Frank H. Nenner MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Lala is the first in her family to attend college and graduated from the University of California, San Diego with a bachelor's degree in physiology and neuroscience. Lala grew up in rural northeastern California, near Mount Shasta, and is an enrolled member of the Pitt River Tribe. She is an advocate for community and has raised awareness for the lack of American Indian and Alaska Native role models in medicine. She was also involved in a social media campaign to raise awareness for Native American youth suicide and substance abuse. It is my great privilege to be able to listen to and learn from Lala's story today. So welcome, Lala, and thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Eric. It's my pleasure to be here. So I want to start with the white coat ceremony. Mm. If you can walk me through and talk to me about that day, uh, you get your white coat, you get your stethoscope, and you read your Hippocratic Oath. So what did that day mean to you? Oh, man, I... You know, it's it kind of was similar to graduation day at UCSD. I think it was my the second time that my family, my mom, dad, brothers were all there. Uh, and it was such a beautiful moment. And I, oh, it was so exciting. All the hard work paid off. You know, I, I remember specifically that Dr. Yeckel was the one who placed the white coat on me. And I was really excited that it was him because he was a major part of why I chose Netter in the first place. But it was it was crazy. I had a smile on my face the entire time. My partner, Brooks Leitner, was also there with my family. So it was everything that I could have ever imagined. And it was a really happy and rewarding day. So when did that passion for medicine even begin for you? Ooh, uh, so the very first time where I even thought of pursuing medicine was my sophomore year in college. Uh, like you said, I went to UC San Diego and I met for my very first time my the very first Native American physician. His name was Dr. Dan Kalak, and he was a primary care doctor at Indian an uh, Indian Health Council, which is in Rincon, California, and he's a doctor, a primary care doctor for his tribe, the Lucinio tribe. And I thought, wow, we, he, you know, he's he's native, he's like me. I could potentially do this if he's doing this. I can do this, and that was the very first time where I even thought of medicine. And I went and asked him if I could shadow him, and he said yes, one hundred percent. And I spent the summer shadowing him. I think it was. Um, 2012 or 13 somewhere around there and it was I fell in love with the career immediately like I remember walking into that travel clinic and comparing it to my own travel clinic back at home in Northern California and I was like wow you know we have some improvements that we can make back at home and it was just gorgeous it was uh, it seemed like native designed you walk inside, there's red paint with native art, very welcoming, uh, native people working, uh, 
and it just offered a lot of resources. And I could see Dr. Dan, just how of an incredible leader he was and how he got along with all the team members and all the team members looked up to him and it was just such a cohesive and strong group and I just wanted to do something similar. So you mentioned uh, there's things that could improve in your own community. Can you maybe talk about a little bit more about that and, you know, in general, what life is like, you know, growing up uh, near a reservation and you're having your family members part of the reservation. So what is that life like growing up? Yeah, so I think, you know, growing up, like I was, I was born on my tribe's reservation. It's actually located in Alturas, California. And my family still resides there today. Uh, but I, I also mostly grew up off the res in Shasta Lake, California and Redding, California. It's, it's nearby. And I think the major issues are the lack of trust in the community and seeing my family members. I, I, I just can't even recall one family member having a good experience with, with the doctors and, and feeling like they can't go and get care that they need. Like I remember like some cousins of mine got in a fight, it was bloody and you know, they just feel like they can't go to the doctor because they're just going to be judged and they're just going to be looked at in a negative way. And, you know, so I see a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering. And, um, you know, I talk to my grandma all the time and she always tells me like how she, every time I see her actually in person, she's just like, I can't wait for you to come back here. We need doctors like you, you know, this one doctor, blah, 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 like isn't giving me the medication I need. And so I think, trust is a big issue. Um, I think we've never had a native person, a native physician at our tribal clinic before. And I think that that's a goal of mine is to one day return back to my community and, and to be that, that person and to deliver services that I know we need. So, um, you know, substance abuse and, and, to provide services that join the Western medicine that I'm learning now with our traditional healing, like sweat ceremonies with, um, you know, recruiting our traditional healers and, and joining those two together. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're mentioning learning about like the Western medicine and your traditional values. So Dr. Daryl Babe Wilson has talked a little bit about that, finding his identity. And one thing he talked about was, his parents and himself having like trying to find their identity. And he said, you know, like one of the issues for him was, and at least in his community, which is also your community, the Pitt River tribe is Mm -hmm. he never felt like he knew his value or his community knew their value and like their purpose. Do you still find that to be true? I think we're so strong as a, as a tribe and then as one people, I do think that we as a as a unity as a as a people are are struggling in certain ways but I don't think it's anything that we can overcome and and I think there's as long as we have that foundation of where you know what did our ancestors do you know what traditionally did we do like let's keep that and let's use that as our motivation you know our elders our our knowledge keepers and we respect them and we include them in decisions, our youth, our future generation. And 
I think we have a really strong, strong values. Um, but I think on an individual level, which I think is what you're alluding to, it's, it is really hard. I know actually for the very first time in my life in med school, I, for the first time started experiencing this, uh, you know, it actually makes more sense. Like thinking, like listening to what my dad and my mom says, like, oh, it's, uh, you know, growing up back in the day, like you didn't want people to know you're a native. You didn't want to be known as native. And for the first time, now that I'm in med school, the only Native American in Netter, I, for the first time, felt, wow, like I, I totally understand where they're coming from. And I, and I can see that losing your sense of, of your values. And I could see that slowly slipping away. But, you know, I think it's important for, for people who come from underrepresented communities to realize that and to seek out resources that will help connect them. So I, you know, was feeling that badly this past year and I was like, okay, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of Connecticut. I need to connect with some mentors and some people who understand my background and I need to have some sort of healing, um, you know, emotionally and spiritually. So I, you know, with the support of Netter, thankfully was able to attend a conference uh, not too long ago, back in March before, before all this COVID business. And I was able to meet some incredible people, talk to some elders, participate in great workshops and reconnect and remember my purpose of why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I think as long as there's resources provided and opportunities and people who you can connect with and, and really get in touch with, with your roots, I think that will help. You're saying, you know, high school and even through college, it, you didn't really have that problem of identity. It wasn't until you went to med school where you were like experience it really for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I think it had to do with moving to Connecticut. Uh, you know, there's a, a lots of tribal people over here, you know, tribes, um, very renowned actually. And, uh, like the Mohegan tribe and the Pequot tribe, but it was there. Uh, I don't know how to say it, but like, I guess growing up in California, there's a many more natives, many more tribes. Like I went to UC San Diego and I know that there's like 20, something tribes around UC San Diego. And I just always felt supported. I went into college um, knowing that there was a Native American organization, student organization I could join. I had Native friends and non-Native friends who were allies and, and I just always felt supported, found mentors easily. And then I went to med school and it was a different story. And so, you know, you mentioned going to the conference, which helped you a little bit, but what else have you maybe done to maybe help you out this year? I think uh, that was definitely the major thing that helped in the conference for sure. Some other things include finding a new sport that I love and having some connection to uh, encouraging myself or building strengthening myself mentally because you know a lot of people like that's why i enjoy um weightlifting that's the sport i'm talking about and 
and people you know think about it, it's like physically it hurts your body but it's also just why i fell in love with it is it mentally exercises you and fatigues you and you know you have your good days and your bad days but you have to always be progressing and you know be kind to yourself and and encourage yourself and i think that's also helped me a lot and you know every time before i go and make a big lift and i think about how my ancestors are with me and i feel connected that way you know it's like oh i'm i'm here like i'm doing this i have I have the strength and power of not just one but of many so that also grounds me and then i think having uh, a strong support system here too and in, in at home uh, i live with my my fiance brooks and uh he's been a tremendous support and i'm very lucky i know a lot of our students uh, our classmates don't have somebody at home that they can immediately go to for support you know like a family member and stuff so i'm i'm very lucky in that respect and he you know every time is there for me and listens to me and lets me cry if i'm having a bad day you know at mesh um and he's been super supportive and i've also just connected with some friends here and just talked things out and so those are some things so it's it's pretty remarkable that it wasn't until sophomore year of college that you met your first you know native american physician and i think that just goes to show with like you said the lack of representation you know, growing up, you don't really have a lot of role models to look up to in terms of like higher education, just because there's there's not many. So where does that process even begin of wanting to get to higher education? Because, you know, like a lot of people, if they want to succeed in something, they look at a role model and whatever you do, you look at someone who has like a similar background. You're like, I aspire to be them. So where does that process even start for you in high school? Yeah, that's such a good question. <laughs> um I think how I even got introduced to the idea of pursuing a college degree was the fact that I participated in programs specifically for low socioeconomic, underrepresented first-generation students. So we had the Educational Talent Search Program, ETS, which is part of a trio program and the trio programs like a federally funded program offered nationally at various high schools that that help uh the both socioeconomic first gen high school students apply to college so i think that is what started it and um being introduced to the idea that how schools worked you know oh this person got an a or this person got a 4.0 and they got an award you know like I, I remember specifically like in middle school there was just like this switch like i remember sitting in the cafeteria out gathering you know and all the the teachers stand up and call out the names of all the people who got 4.0s and i like sat down and i was just like of course i didn't get called <laughs> and then i didn't i didn't really care about grades or anything you know i exactly i had no role models and you know sort of the expectation was like oh my you know my parents would would be happy with whatever i mean they would they were happy that i was good at school you know i got okay grades but when that teacher called a list of names and only a few people 
were walked up and received the award, I remember having that switch of like, well, I can do that. You know, like I can do that. I can prove that to myself. I can be somebody and I could defy the odds and I can, you know, and I remember actually having another switch like that in later on, like in eighth grade when, um, when it wasn't only just grades, but it was also sports. And we have something called the record searchlight, um, or sorry, the um, scholar athlete of the year in Northern California. And I remember my dad opening the newspaper and being like, wow, like, that's so amazing. I can't believe these people get 4.0s and, and also excel in athletics and get MVP, blah, blah, blah. And I just remember, I can do that, dad. Yeah. And I like literally told him that. And I was like in eighth grade. And then I, and then I go and, you know, four, four years later, senior in high school, and I'm nominated for that award. And, and I actually won it. And I was like, dad, you remember, <laughs> you know, you remember that? <laughs> so I think it's just, uh, I don't know, like seeing, I guess, little admirations of my family or just like of other people and like what they admired and how the expectation, I guess, was not low, but it just, it wasn't there. And I just fought really hard to, to show people that it is possible. And, and I think that's like what really drove me when it comes down to it in high school and knowing that there is a significant lack of role models. And I have two younger brothers who I'm very close to. And I remember in high school, all I cared about was making sure that they went to college, you know, that they did something. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, who am I to, to say like they should go to college if I can't, if I didn't go myself, you know, if I didn't make it myself. So I think that was my main motivation was being a role model immediately to my two younger brothers. Being a role model for your siblings, for your brothers is really important. And so when you actually went to college, you know, you went to San Diego, which is on the other end of California from where you're at. And so what was that transition like? You know, you have to leave your family, you have to leave your brothers who you, you want to be a big role model for, but you're going to the other end of California. So what was that like for you? Mm. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was a really tough transition. Let me tell you, uh, you know, I, it was exciting. I remember feeling immediately like when my mom dropped me off and I felt like I was at some sort of camp that I've never been at before. And I, it felt very temporary and I was, it was just exciting. And then, and then I thought so many times, like in the first year, how, like, what am I doing? Like, I, I don't belong here. There's nobody, you know, there's no professors here with my background. There's no researchers. There's maybe I'm starting to understand like how my family is like, you know, the world education and stuff isn't meant for native people. And I think that I had to talk to my mom specifically a lot. She was probably my rock during that time. And and she just kept pushing me and telling me, you know, she's always there like to, to be hard on me when I need it. You know, she's like, well, you, you know, I love you and uh, you can always come home and I will love you, but I know that this is what you want. This is what you worked hard for. And so she would always tell me hard things like that. And my dad too, you know, like he, he also has been there for me, especially recently with med school, you know, and we were talking about that sort of. Uh, hard time that I've been having and 
he said like, you know, it's, it's, if it was easy, then other people would be doing what you're doing and it's not easy what you're doing. And, you know, you can't expect it to be all flowers and roses. So I think just putting, reshaping my perspective helped a lot during my first year in college and in med school. And when it comes to my two younger brothers, and I think I just had to talk to them a lot and to really let them know, like when I left for college, I told a tune, he's the oldest of my two younger brothers. Um, he's three, four years younger than me. And I told him, I was like, brother, when I go to college and I'm doing this, I'm doing this for you guys. I hope you know that. Like, I love you and I wish I could be here and help take care of you. But it, this is something that I need. Like, this is going to be the best thing down the road. And I think just constantly telling him that and saying like a tune, I need you to look over Nawoj, my youngest brother, you know, and and take care of him and be there for him. And so I think that also helped a lot. And and I think they understand that, um, you know, even to this day, like I still have to be saying those things because years later, you know, I'm still away from home. So it's a continuous thing I have to do. With your time being away from home and college and med school, what do you think is like the most valuable lesson you've learned from all that time away? I think the first thing that comes to my mind is just how big the the world is and how it's filled with so many different incredible people. I didn't even realize how amazing and how big the world was when before college. And I think that's been the most enlightening thing is realizing that there, when you go and you leave home for an education and you go to university, that there's opportunities for you to grow in ways that you couldn't even imagine, you know, um, emotionally and, and uh, spiritually and like connecting with people, understanding people, their story, and realizing that there's opportunities that you can gain. And, you know, like I didn't even know that there was um, graduate school when I went to college. Like I, I had no idea that research even existed. So that was like something big. And then I was like, oh, what's research? And then I started doing summer research programs. And, and then I started, then I discovered medicine. You know, it was, it was just like this huge awakening of, wow, this is something I could do. I can have a career. I can do things with my life that are meaningful and I contribute to the greater good. So I think that was the big awe moment. Can you talk to me a little bit about your campaign with the uh, the the National Council of Urban of Urban Indian Health? Because when I was reading about that, like the one statistic that you know really brought my attention was the suicide rate of Native youths. You know, from my perspective, who's a non-Native person, I you sort of hear about problems on like reservations and with the natives and the youth, but I feel like it's not really talked about or if it is, it's kind of like brushed aside. Yeah, no, I, I feel you on that one, Eric. That's, uh, that's exactly right. You know, I, and it's not just like suicide. I feel that way with about just in general, like how, how native people, native communities suffer disproportionately from almost every and nearly every health category. And, 
and it's kind of like, wow, like what, what is being done about, about this? And, you know, you kind of find out like not much, but specifically in regards to, um, my work with the, with NICU, uh, or NICUI, the National Council of Urban Indian Health, I, I was selected to be, um, on their, their youth board and they selected a, I think five or six members total from across the U.S. and and it was awesome. I got to meet with other uh, Native youth and tell our stories and talk about the importance of this. And I think one thing to highlight is more and more Natives are living in urban settings and especially Native youth. I think it's like around two-thirds of Natives now live in urban areas and 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 when it comes to healthcare and the Indian Health Service and providing care to Native people through uh, the history of like treaties and stuff, it's it's mostly provided in a rural context. And so, Nakui and us were working on advocating for more services provided in urban locations and specifically with suicide prevention and and mental health and and it was incredible. Um, incredible experience and working on that campaign and continuing on and handing that on to like the next, the next year's uh, native youth, you know, to get their perspective and for them to build on it. So it's definitely an important cause. And I think it's something that's definitely not discussed enough. And I, and unfortunately, yeah, our, our people, native people, native youth are, we're losing them to, to suicide. And I think, um, on the bright side, though, I know that there's a lot of tribal communities out there just hearing from conferences and stuff who who recognize this. And there's a lot of tribal run work uh, centered on this. You know, one of the many issues like you talked about, there's a lot of issues. And one thing that I really didn't even like think about was the diet, the native diet. And you uh, showed me this video about your uncles. And I wouldn't even really think about that, to be honest, where you know, the settlers came and they brought in cattle and they brought in all this different livestock, which isn't accustomed to basically like the traditions or the native diet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, um, when you look back and you see all the major change, uh, colonization brought, you know, the diet, the change in diet, like our people, we, we survived off the land and, and hunted off the land. We ate plants and berries and, um, you know, wild game. And we, we were healthy. We, we didn't have, uh, diabetes and obesity and, and sort of these chronic metabolic diseases that we see that proliferate our, our communities now. And, and I think that contributes to it, but then we also have to acknowledge that colonialism brought alcohol, and that that really probably was the Achilles heel. And I think right now, currently, we're we have a lot of our people who struggle with uh, substance abuse and, and are still suffering from um, from that uh, from people the people bringing that over. And so, yeah, in terms of the traditional diet, I I think that. I remember going to one workshop and I thought this was beautiful hearing somebody say like, if we don't have uh, in our language, in our 
native language a word for this food, then you shouldn't be eating it. Like this is not traditionally what we used to eat. If we don't have a name for it, then it didn't exist back then. So, you know, like talking about sort of like processed foods and, and high complex carbohydrates and, you know, and native people, the reservations are in the poorest areas in the US and there's, you know, not uh, high quality food and, and, you know, with poverty, you end up just buying a lot of junk food and, and that also contributes to um, the metabolic diseases that we see in, in native people. You know, from an outsider's view, um, as a non-native myself, like, what do you think we could do, or at least what can we learn from the understanding of native? From that view, I think my, and then also combining it with my view of like, now I'm in med school and you know, I, I don't know what everybody's goals are, but I would highly, highly encourage med students across the world to at least consider working at a tribal community, you know, by providing care for a tribal community. And I think right there in itself is there's going to be so many rewarding lessons in that, um, you know, the IHS the Indian Health Services provides uh, internships for summer or throughout the year that anybody can apply to, native, non-native. And, you know, the, the government is looking for healthcare professionals to work in these communities. It's not stressed highly, like it should be. It's not talked about as much and it's not talked about in the med school curriculum, like how how native people are are facing all of these these health crises and we're, you know, kind of more focused on global experiences and traveling abroad during the summer. And, and don't get me wrong, that's super important too. But I also just feel like there should be a voice and more um, advocacy to, you know, just travel miles down the road, like a hundred miles north, hundred miles south, like go to a different state and like, look what's here. Like, look, look what's in your backyard. And so I think that that would be my advice is don't, don't be uh, hesitant. Don't be reluctant. You know, I think there's kind of maybe a, a negative way of thinking that it's going to be like really tough or like there's going to be a lot of racism and, you know, there, there well could be, but it's also like native people are the most welcoming, uh, funny, like they just, they just want to be acknowledged and their natural rights recognized and they want to be heard they you know they want to go to a doctor's office and be explained what a medication is and like learn how to take it and and so i think um it will be just an incredible experience for somebody to work in that community and and to see like what it's like and if it's for you and if not then it's just going to be a great experience to carry forward in your future practice so I think that's my recommendation. So lastly, what do you look forward to these next couple of years and what's the impact you want to have on your community? Uh, so next few years, I think I'm, you know, more like short term goals. I, I'm like super excited to start seeing patients again. Right. <laughs> I really miss seeing, I really miss seeing patients weekly. Um, 
taking care of it was the highlight of my week and I felt like I was actually doing doctor things. So, you know, I, I can't wait for that and to continue building my clinical skills. And, you know, I'm, I'm just like super excited to uh, also apply for the Netter has the longitudinal integrated clerkship program. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a rural track for med students. And I'm so excited. I also forgot to mention that was also one of the reasons why I chose Netter was because of that, that program. And it's in Fort Kent, Maine. And I'm, you know, eventually want to use that experience to, uh, to build meaningful long-term relationships with patients and to take care of them in the, in any context, you know, whether it be OBGYN, um, primary care, PEDS, you know, taking care of the, like a family's grandparents. Like I want to be able to do it all. And I think that program will give me that opportunity to see what, what that will be like. And if that's like what I want to do. Um, so I think that's also what I'm looking forward to. And I know that long-term it will help me because that's how I see myself. I want to be a family med doctor doing all spectrum care. And I want to work hopefully at my, um, you know, go home and, and bring all the skills and knowledge that I've learned back to my community and, and just build a native run clinic from the scratch that combines Western with traditional medicine. And, oh, it's just going to be so awesome. And my, you know, I have my Brooks who's interested in helping and my brother, Atun, who's uh, just got accepted into physical therapy school. And, you know, how cool would it be to have physical therapy um, incorporated into our clinic? Like, I think there's lots of uh, incredible goals. And then also one more thing that I'm looking forward to non-medicine related is uh, the weightlifting. I think I'm, I have my eyes uh, sought on the uh, Connecticut women's state record. Oh, so wow. I'm hoping, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm hoping that by the time I finish med school, you know, the next few years that I'll be able to, to get that. So I'm, I'm kind of close. I'm not, you know, I think uh, with a couple more years, I think it's possible. So I'm also looking forward to that. All righty. Well, Lala, I do appreciate you sharing your story and uh, learning about you and learning about the natives. I think it's really beneficial even for like me and other med students or people in medicine just to kind of know about this, all these other issues as well. Uh, yeah, Eric, I'm just I can't thank you enough for providing this platform. You know, this is the first time that I've heard of any med student doing this. And I, I think what you're doing is spectacular. And I hope that we also get to hear your story. <laughs> and, you know, like, I think this is awesome. And I thank you so much for thinking about me and asking me and I am more than, you know, grateful and, and happy. And I'm just super, super thankful that I you gave me the space to, to tell my story. So thank you. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Behind the White Coat. Please make sure you subscribe either on iTunes or Spotify so you can get notified when the next episode is released. Thank you for your time and I hope you enjoyed this episode.